Good morning. Welcome to Mission View Church. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here. If this is your first time joining us this morning, welcome. I'm so glad you've joined us for worship this morning. Just wonderful time this morning. I just treasure the times that we can partake in communion together, remembering the sacrifice that Christ made for us. Um, It just moves me to tears every time that Jesus would make that kind of sacrifice for a wretched sinner like me makes no sense at all. Just so thankful for Jesus, his love for us, and the sacrifice that he made for us. Not only did Christ die and make a way for us, but um, he taught so much. He gave so much wisdom and guidance as he walked and uh, called his disciples and then taught so much. And um, as we've been going through Mark, we've been looking at Jesus' teaching, and, and today is no different. We're going to be looking at what Jesus talks about in um, marriage and divorce. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be there. Just a couple of things before we jump into God's Word this morning. Man, it's, it's an exciting time to be at Mission View Church. God's doing so many different things. We're so excited um, for those things. A couple of things we're looking at. Uh, this afternoon is trunk or treat. Anybody got their trunk ready yet for a trunk or treat? Anybody? All right, cool, awesome. It's going to be a good time. It looks like beautiful weather, 65 degrees, so come on out. I forget what time that, what time does that start? Does anybody? Three o'clock, trunk or treat's three o'clock here. It's going to be a great time. And then next weekend, we um, are going to be having a missions night on Sunday night. That's next Sunday. Really excited about this. It's just one of, it's, I don't know if this will happen again in Mission View Church, you know, Lord willing, but all of our missionaries will be here except for one, all of them from all over the world. So next Sunday night, uh, please come. You'll, you'll get to meet all of our missionaries except for one that couldn't make it, but all of them will be here. You'll be able to talk to them. They're going to share on stage about what's going on in their ministry. And then you'll be able to meet with them and talk with them afterwards. Um, they'll be out in the lobby in the cafe and fishbowl. And it's going to be a great time. Missions night is next Sunday night. Just want to invite you out for that. We are Mission View Church. We're very excited about missions and our missionaries and the coming missions trips for next year. So excited for that. All right. Mark chapter 10, our guiding, providing Savior. Let's pray before we read God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. And that we can look at what real truth is. And Father, we pray that you would move on our hearts this morning. We surrender to you right now. And Father, we confess that we need more of you. Fill us more and more each day. Open our eyes to the glories of your son, Jesus Christ the glories of the gospel, that it would change us and grow us, not just at salvation, but throughout our entire lives and our journey with you, the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, Father. God, that you would draw near to us, that we would draw near to you. Come and have your way this morning. Change our minds and change our hearts for your kingdom and your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark 10, 1 starts like this. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Let's stop right there. 
And the first fill-in I'm going to give you right off the top. The Pharisees wanted Jesus to agree with them and teach the law. The Pharisees wanted Jesus to agree with them and teach the law. All through Mark, as we've read through this and seen Jesus' life, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, these religious leaders of the time have been following Jesus around, harassing him, trying to trip him up, trying to get him to say something heretical, trying to get him to mess up so that they could kill him eventually. Really, they were out for blood. So we see this over and over and over again. And, and we know because of where we li- live in time that they did kill Jesus on the cross. They did what they wanted to do. But we see this over and over and over again, this harassment of Jesus. And Jesus had a great following everywhere he went. It says, again, a great crowd followed him. Jesus had a huge following. And the Pharisees felt threatened and frustrated. They believed a man could ask for divorce because he was tired of his wife. She fell out of his favor. Could you imagine that? If we look back at the, the law and it says, it's, it basically says that if the wife falls out of favor with the husband, he can issue her a certificate of divorce. I mean, she doesn't even have to burn the casserole, guys. You know, divorce had become so accustomed to in their time and and it, it, we're going to find out that Jesus tells them the only reason that God even allowed for this is because of the hardness of your heart. I mean, this, this, this giving of certificate and divorce was because of a hardness of their hearts. But it had become so common in the issuing of divorce that, that it was just all over the place. Kind of, kind of like today. I mean, divorce is rampant in our society today. Now, I'm sure what the Pharisees were thinking here is like, this guy's got a huge following. If we can just, just get Jesus to agree with us, if we can get him to come to our side, we'll have all of these people too, right? If, he, if, we, can just, if we can just get him to admit that he agrees with us and he follows us, then these thousands and these tens of thousands of people who are following him and listening to him, they'll follow us and they'll listen to us. The Pharisees trying to trip Jesus up Really what it reveals to us is it reveals what legalism does in the hearts of humanity. Legalism is a relentless and brutal slave master. Jesus' teachings are full of love, kindness, truth, and grace. He challenged the status quo and lived out the truth that he taught. He invited tax collectors, prostitutes, thieves into his kingdom and freely accepted them into the truth and they joyfully submitted and repented to it. Legalism does the exact opposite. It says, live up to the standard, do what I'm doing or agree with me. And if you don't, there's going to be hell to pay, literally hell to pay. Legalism is pride's faithful fruit. And if you've been here the last few weeks, you know that Jesus has been addressing pride every week. And I think we see a little bit more of it today. Only when we fool ourselves into thinking that we have achieved greatness, like the Pharisees had, 
achieved holiness or righteousness and we can pat ourselves on the back and tell everyone around us, look at me, look how awesome I am, be like me, watch me, follow me, do as I do, submit to me, worship me. Now, of course, we never actually say that out loud. It is whispering in the back of our minds. I'm pretty good. I mean, I'm not like, you know, I'm not perfect or anything, but man, my neighbor, you know, he's out there drinking, cussing all the time. I'm doing pretty good. I got, I got my life together. You know, I go to work. I got a good job, you know, doing pretty good. You know, I, I actually, I used to be like this, but now I'm doing a little bit better. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Actually, I'm a really good person. I, actually, I might be one of the better people in my friends group. You know, top two. Top two. I mean, we don't, we don't like, you don't like jump to pharisaical legalism from the gates, right? It's this progressive, slow, inching, prideful thought pattern. That just sneaks up on us. And like I said, pride blinds us to our own blindness. It's something that we can't and don't see unless God and his grace and mercy reveals to it. In the Christian walk, there's no room for pride because God saves us. God changes us or sanctifies us. And God eventually brings us into glory. In the end, when we walk through the pearly gates and, and into paradise, into the heaven that, that Jesus is preparing now for us, we're not going to get through those pearly gates and, and pat ourselves on the back and be like, wow, man, I am really glad I did this. I'm really, really glad I was such a good person. <laughs> man, this is great. No, that's not what's going to go through our minds when we go through those pearly gates. If it is, they're not pearly gates. They're probably fiery gates. What's going to go through our minds when we go through those gates is I don't deserve this. God, how, why for someone like me, why would you do this? Thank you, Jesus. We are going to run through with tears in our eyes. The pharisaical encounter in this lesson is a lesson not just in legalism, but a warning against pride. You see, legalism demands outward righteousness and ignores inward sinfulness. It looks at the cover and doesn't read the book. If you can put on the mask and fake it in public, you're all good, right? If you can just, you just, you just white-knuckle righteousness for an hour and ten minutes at church, man, you're good. Make it look good. I don't, I, I don't know. I think probably we've all struggled with this. As a kid, we went to church every Sunday. And I mean, we would, I had two little brothers, one older sister, and we had the blue Volkswagen bus minivan, you know. And I remember getting up, uh, trying to get ready for church. We had two bathrooms. There was one for us four kids, and my parents had one in the master bedroom. But my sister, who was about four years older than I am, would get into the bathroom first, and it took her around... 16 hours, I think, to get ready. There was curling irons and hairspray, and that was like the 80s, so her hair had to be out here. 
And, you know, I mean, I remember us, us boys, we were like, mom and dad were like, you need to get dressed. I'm like, we can't get in the bathroom. We can't get in here. It always turned into this huge fight, right? And me and my brothers are fighting to get ready. And, you know, I'm wearing two different shoes and my brothers are mismatched and we're trying to get out and everybody's yelling at each other. We get into the van and I'm pulling Holly's hair because it's everywhere. And my brothers are yelling at me. And, and then my mom's looking back and saying, don't think. Dad, stop the car, you know, that type thing, you know, and dad's yelling, you know, and the car's veering and we pull up and there's the greeters are right there as dad's going to drop us off. And it's like, rah, 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 the door's open and, and, uh, and they're, Hey, welcome to church. And my mom's like, Oh, it's great to be here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Right. You know, you're wearing your Sunday best and you're showing up to church and you put on the mask and you walk in and everything's great. It's rainbows and unicorns, but in reality, it's tornadoes and pterodactyls. And it's this mess of a life that you don't want anyone to know about because you got to put on the mask. That's the exact opposite of what the gospel, what Christianity, what the church is meant to be. That God calls us to be real with one another, to share in the burdens and the suffering and the difficulties of life, that you're not meant to walk through these things alone, by yourself, but with brothers and sisters in Christ that love you and care about you, and the power of the Spirit and mutual submission and kindness for one another. Legalism robs the church of that. It robbed the Pharisees of witnessing the Messiah. And it robs us of witnessing the Messiah. Pride, legalism, what a mess. So as Jesus answers this question, we'll see him directly confront this legalism and the hard-heartedness of the Pharisees. Let's move on in verse 5. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But... From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Wait, what? We're asking you about divorce, Jesus. And Jesus gets into this biblical teaching on the beauty and the power and the glory of marriage. Wait, wait, wait. We're asking about divorce. Jesus just goes, nope. I'm going to tell you what it's meant to be. This is like one of my favorite topics. And the second fill in your notes is this, that God created marriage for his glory and our good. God created marriage for his glory and our good. Marriage was created by God for procreation and for our joy. Marriage creates a union far beyond human words and physical intimacy. Read what it says here in God's word. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. There is something supernatural, something spiritual that happens in Christian marriage. Two people go from being two separate people to one flesh. It's no longer Matt and Joe. It's Mo. 
We're Mo now. Sorry. Sorry. I'm just apologize for that now. No, we become one flesh. It's Rinda. Not Randy and Linda. It's Rinda. Okay, that's not any better. Okay, really bad. Okay. No, but there's this, this thing that God does that takes two people and makes them one. This is a, a beautiful and, and such a mind-boggling statement that, that our culture today just doesn't get. Marriage isn't just some promise. It is a beautiful promise. Marriage isn't just some piece of paper or certificate, which it is a legal document. Uh, marriage isn't just this commitment, although it is a, an amazing lifelong commitment, but there is a supernatural, miraculous God thing, divine thing that comes in and makes marriage so much more than what we really believe it to be. God brings two people and makes them one flesh in his power and divinity and his godness. Only he can do that. Marriage creates a union far beyond a certificate, a promise, a covenant. It makes two flesh one. We know that marriage is meant to be permanent. Because it says, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. God intends for the marriage relationship to last forever. That we would be married for our entire lives. That's God's intention. We also know that God hates divorce. That he sees marriage as something that is so much more than what we see it as. In Ephesians 5, we really get a picture of why, one of the reasons why marriage is so important to the Lord. Marriage is meant to show the world the love Jesus has for the church and the love we, the church, have for Jesus. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave his life for her. That's what God's word says in Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. It's so interesting to kind of study Ephesians 5 because as Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, he, he's talking and he's giving just this really good teaching to families and the family unit and children and, and, and how they should be with their parents and husbands, how they should be with their wives and wives, how they should be with their, their husbands. And then he, he does this automatic shift. He doesn't even stop and, and tell people what he's doing. He's giving these, this family relationship teaching. And he goes from family relationship teaching directly to Christ and the church. It, it's just like, that makes no sense. What's happening here? And there's no, there's no like divider. There's no anything. It's just this teaching on, on husband and wife. And then it just goes Christ and the church. You see, Christian marriage is meant to be a beacon of hope to the world. That as the world looks in on Christian marriage, they see Christ-like love. Now, what is Christ-like love? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and what? Gave his life for her. That is Christ-like love. 
And, and God's not saying that you're going to hang on a cross for your wife. He's just saying that you're going to give your life away for your wife. We're not getting crucified every day, guys. But we can crucify our desires and our wants and put our wife's desires and her wants before our own. You see, Jesus even says himself, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. Give his life as a ransom for many. That's, that's our calling. That is the beauty of the gospel. And it's the beauty of Christian marriage. That we would be self-sacrificing for one another. That the world would look in and see a love that goes way beyond any human love. Because if you think about it, marriage is so difficult. It is so hard. Single people out there are going, well, it's probably not that hard. Married people out there are going, amen. Amen and praise the Lord. Because let's be honest, the best of us, I mean, the very best of us aren't lovable all the time, right? I mean, marriage is hard. And that's another reason that God gave us marriage, I believe, is for our sanctification. I do a ton of marriage counseling, and I can promise you, 99.9% of the couples that come and meet with me are complete and total opposites. It's just, it just never fails. They, you know, they just, we get, they get married six months later, they find out they have nothing in common. They had everything in common before, and six months after the marriage, they have nothing in common, and, and they're just complete opposites, and, and it's just this huge mess of beautiful, self-sacrificing, selfless humility, kindness, and grace that can only be given and modeled because of the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit's work in us. You want a beautiful marriage? Run after Jesus. Don't run after your spouse. Run after Jesus. You want your marriage to last forever? Don't run after your spouse. Run after Jesus. Find everything that you need, everything that you want, everything that you desire in Christ. Let Him fulfill all of those things and see what happens to your marriage. You see, that is what Christian marriage is to look like. And the world looks in on that and they're just like, what, what in the world? What is that? And we can say to them really clearly, I love my wife like Jesus loved us, the church. What? What's that mean? What's the beauty of the gospel? What, a, what, a, what an opportunity that we have. What a statement we can make if we make Christ the center of our marriages, the middle of our marriages. In verse 10, he goes on, it says, In the house... The disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. There's the third felony notes here is this. God always directs us to restore hurting and broken marriages. God always directs us to restore hurting and broken marriages. Now here, as the disciples are asking this question, it's tied to this 
Pharisees asking this, trying to trip Jesus up. And I believe Jesus is addressing the Mosaic law here that the Pharisees had brought up. And that's what the disciples are questioning here in private. And that the committing of adultery is only in the cases of divorce sought by Christians on no biblical grounds. There are biblical grounds for divorce. And the biblical grounds for divorce are adultery or abandonment by an unbeliever. Now, we actually, uh, the elders did a huge study on this, and we published a document, actually, and I want to read that to you right now. and brings a lot of clarity to this statement, because Jesus, and all through the New Testament, has a lot to say about divorce and remarriage. And I'll read that to you right now. It should be on the screen behind me. We believe that the Bible teaches that marriage joins one man and one woman in a single covenantal union before God. You can find these texts as well, Genesis 2, 18 through 25, Mark 10, which we're reading today, Ephesians 5, 22 through 31. For Christians, the sanctity of the marriage covenant is further reinforced by the New Testament's use of marriage as a metaphor for Christ and the church. That's what we were just talking about. We see that in Ephesians 5 and 2 Corinthians 11. We believe that repentance and restoration in a broken marriage best glorifies God whenever possible, and that Scripture permits divorce only in cases of adultery and abandonment. Those texts there are Malachi 2, Matthew 19, Mark 10 here again, and Romans 7 and Corinthians 7. At the same time, we believe that those who obtain an unbiblical divorce or remarriage can find forgiveness in Christ and may be greatly used by God. The texts follow there as well. Marriage ceremonies performed by pastors of this church or in facilities owned or rented by this church will only be ceremonies that join one man with one woman as their sex was determined at birth. Whenever there's a conflict between the church's position and any new legal standard for marriage, the church's understanding of marriage as defined by Scripture and described in this document will govern. We celebrate singleness as a gift from God. And recognize that singles have important opportunities for ministry. Singles contribute to all aspects of church life and may serve in leadership positions. That's right on our website under our statement on cultural issues. Um, Invite you to read that. This is a great document. It has a lot of information in there. But what we believe as a church is that God wants to heal and restore broken and hurting marriages. Marriage is hard, but Christian marriage is meant to be that beacon of hope to the world that reveals the glorious relationship between Christ and the church, the self-sacrificing servitude and love that never fails. We believe that if you've been divorced and God has shown you that it was sinful and you've gone before the Lord and asked for forgiveness, you are forgiven. Let me just say that again. You are forgiven. And not forgiven in the sense like I can forgive you, but forgiven in the sense that God forgives you. And God says that when you ask for forgiveness and he gives forgiveness, he, it's, he chooses to remember your sins no more. We have no capacity for that because you and I don't have divine control of our memories And if I choose to remember your sins no more, they're still right here. And they're still nagging at me. And I might bring them up and use them against you every once in a while because I'm a sinner. (laughs) 
But God in his divine power and sovereignty chooses to remember your sins no more. It it is as if you have never sinned. That is God's love and grace and mercy in the person of Jesus Christ. You are forgiven. You see... We value marriage because God values marriage. We, and, and it's beautiful. And what God intends for it to be is amazing and, and world-changing. But we also know that we are sinful people. And we make mistakes. And we sin and, and fall short of God's standard. And it breaks the heart of God. And it breaks our heart. But we know that God knew all of this. He knew we would struggle. He knew we would fall flat on our face. So what's, where's the hope? Where's the strength to have the beautiful marriage that God intends for you to have? I mean, how, how in the world can we live in relationship with another sinner 24-7 and love them well? I mean, how can, where do we find the motivation to forgive someone who stabs us in the back? I mean, the, the person that we trust the most, the person that we are most vulnerable with, the person that we've given our life to, we've had kids with, and they've betrayed us. How can we forgive? How can we live? How can we move forward in this brokenness and mess? Where do we find the strength? Nobody can do that. Nobody can do that. We don't have the capacity to forgive Someone who is so close to us and betrays us. We don't have the capacity to forgive someone who we've given our life to and they've lied to us for years. We don't have that capacity to forgive someone who says the most wicked and evil things because they know the deepest and sinful things in our lives. No one has that capacity. But Jesus... Jesus does. And we find the strength to have a healthy marriage. We find the strength and the hope to forgive and walk in relationship with somebody who's harmed us in such a deep way. We find that strength and we find that hope at the cross of Jesus Christ. And then I go to the cross and I see Jesus hanging there for my sin, for my betrayal. And for my lies and my sinfulness and deceit and wickedness. When I see Jesus hanging there for what I did. And he looks at me and he says, I love you and I forgive you. Now go and give that love and forgiveness away. Friends, that's where we find the hope. That's where we find the courage and the strength to live out Christian marriage as God intends. I don't know what you're struggling with in your marriage, but I've been married long enough to know that you're probably struggling with something. <laughs> there's, always, there's always something we can be doing better in our marriages. And I wanted to give you a little hope Maybe you're struggling in your marriage and share a story with you from our marriage in our life. Why don't you come on up, Joe?
everybody, this is my beautiful wife, Janelle. Thank you, sweetie. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a dead man for this. He might be. I might be. Thank you so much. But we want, I wanted to share our story with you. The reason that I'm a pastor is because God saved our marriage. The reason that I'm sharing from God's word with you this morning is because uh, we were uh, ready to be divorced because of my sinfulness and wickedness and evil heart. And God um, changed her heart and used her to change mine. I grew up in a Christian home that went to church every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. We put on the mask. My parents loved Jesus, dedicated their life to him, and did everything with and for the church. They, they modeled um, a love for Jesus like no one else. Uh, but there was something, there was a disconnect for me. Uh, we went to the churches that we went to, and I would hear the gospel, but I only heard one side of it, uh, that God loved me, and that I was, I was you know, destined for greatness, that God had a destiny for me, and all of those things were true, but there's another side of that, that, that I was a sinner, that I was broken, and that, Jesus, that I was under God's wrath, that my sinfulness had put me under God's wrath, and I needed forgiveness, and I needed to repent, but I just didn't hear that in my pride and brokenness. And so as I grew um, older, um, I was not saved. I thought I was saved, but I was not saved. I was in habitual sin, and I, I was selfish and broken. And I would have never married him if I had known that he wasn't saved. Right. <laughs> this is true. And so um, I was, everything was fine. I could hide my sin and wear that mask um, until I got married. Everybody... I was a worship leader. I traveled in Christian rock bands, had all the accolades and all the success and all these different things. And everybody thought I was amazing. And then I got married and found out I wasn't amazing. Janelle made it very clear that I was not amazing. I still make it clear. You still make, she still makes it clear, yes. But she, as we were married in the first three years of our marriage, um, it was uh, a horrific mess because I was so selfish and sinful we had become enemies. We hated each other. Um, we, did, we couldn't talk without screaming or yelling at one another. And um, it was just, there was no way out. I didn't think there was any way out. I just hated her, and I knew I had to get away from her somehow. And um, it was in the, she doesn't remember this, but it was in the middle of a, one of those horrific fights where... Um, I was screaming at the top of my lungs and had her pinned up against a wall and she was holding one of our babies and I looked over at Emma's eyes and God in that moment, I believe, saved me. He ripped, he literally gutted me. I went from screaming at her in her face to having nothing in me whatsoever. And she had been asking me for a long time to go to biblical counseling but in my pride and wickedness would never, I don't need that. And in that moment, God changed me. I, I didn't have any words to say. The, the only thing I could barely get out of my mouth is, I'll, I'll go to counseling. I could like barely get it out. Uh, we separated. I moved in with my parents. probably the hardest thing I've ever, ever done in my life. I remember laying on the bed I grew up in 
to my parents' home, which I hadn't been in for a long time. And I, I said to God, I said, if you decide to take my wife and children away from me, I'm okay with that. You're all I need, Jesus. And he changed me so much. We went to that first biblical counseling session. And I'll never forget, Pastor Russ Kennedy put a Bible down in front of me. He says, Matt, you believe this book? I grew up in church. I'm like, yeah, I believe it. No, no, Matt. I mean, you really believe this book? Yes, yes, I believe that book. No, Matt, I mean, you, I mean, Genesis to Revelation, you believe every word in this book. Yes, I believe it. No, you don't. No, you don't. If you believed this, you wouldn't be in this mess right now. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you got me. What's going on? And he shared the gospel with me and he said, he said, you don't understand. Jesus died for you, Matt. I, I understood that, but I didn't personalize that. I thought Jesus died for the world. Not me. I was okay. I tried to do right. I grew up in a Christian home. Jesus died for me. It was Matt's sin that held him on that cross. It was, it was me. It was me, my wickedness. And I was a different person. And um, what do you want to share? I don't know where to go with after that. Um, Why don't you I share think, what happened with you um, in the beginning? Before that pivotal point for Matt, for me, um, I had felt for a long time that I needed a spiritual leader in their home. And he was not doing that. And so I tried to do that for our family. And I... And it messed things up more because I'm, I'm not called to be the leader of the home. The man is, and he wasn't doing it. So I started trying to do that for our kids. And um, I think our biggest problem for us when we got married is we did not know our biblical roles as husband and wife. We did not know what the Bible really said about that. We didn't have great pre-marriage counseling. Um, the churches we were in never really taught about that. So for me... Learning before we got to that point, the Lord started working on me. I met with another pastor's wife, and she really, I only met with her like two or three times, and she got me off and going on a Bible study that really showed me what the Bible has to say about my role, not what he is and isn't doing as a leader. I had to take my focus off of what he wasn't doing or was doing and put it on what Jesus wants me to do and how the Lord can change me, not change Matt. All my prayers were like, change him, change him, change him, not change me. And so when I had to put the focus on me, whew, did things change yeah. <laughs> rapidly? Like the Lord just started, and it was work, and it took practice, and it was hard, and the Lord just really changed me in a way that I, I don't know. I just praise the Lord for it because it wasn't me. It was the Lord changing me and showing me what the Bible says, about his word says, about marriage, about my role as wife, as a helpmate. Ooh, I did not like that at first. Um, I did not like the word submission. I mean, gross. Like, But then learning what the Bible says about that is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Um, so just walking through the scripture and learning how to apply those biblical principles to my life was amazing. And taking the focus again off of the, what I thought the problem was 
<laughs> and putting the focus on what the real problem was, and that is that I was a sinner and that the Lord needed to change me. And then um, I think it's in First Peter 3 where um, how it talks about like how women love, love their husbands in a way. I can't, I don't remember exactly what it says, but so even without um, a word that they're, by their actions, they're loving their husband to the Lord. So in that fight that we had that I don't remember because I, I don't remember that at all. Thank God. But we had lots of fights, but. That's God's um, mercy, everybody. It is. We had lots of fights, but there came a point where I stopped fighting for against him and started fighting for our marriage by getting into the word and like i wouldn't argue anymore with him i would just be like okay you know i'm gonna walk away and i'm just gonna pray about this and get myself right not get react be emotional all the time because my emotions and feelings i found out were lying to me a lot um or would make me act in a sinful way so i just um started to get it together in the word and, and learning how to apply those principles to my life and there. There's some really good, it's like, we just grew up hearing about that stuff, but I never knew how to apply that stuff to my situation and how to walk that out. And I think um, meeting with some other Christian women who have been married for a while and them just really pouring into me and helping rebuild our marriage, like your third point was, like mm -hmm. restoring our marriage and, and showing me how the Lord wants to restore our marriage was huge because, I mean, there's just capturing your thoughts, replacing them. I used to think I hate him. I can't do this anymore. Oh, no, I can do all things through Christ. I capture that thought quickly, replace it with some scripture. I carry a little scripture in my pocket all the time. So when I put my hand in my pocket, I'm like, oh, yeah, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, you know, things like that. All Just constantly um, retraining my brain, really. Hmm. So, Thanks, sweetie. No, that's great. Thank you so much. There's a lot. I could go on a long time. <laughs> I don't, it's it, only God can take two mortal enemies and make them best friends. And I have, I have the best marriage on the planet. I am so in love with you, Janelle. And we, it's only God can take you from divorce to the beauty of commitment, love, and marriage. And we only share that story to glorify God. And I want you to know that we're not special people. And we're not super spiritual people. We just serve a super powerful God who loves us and cares for us. And if your marriage is hurting, I want you to have hope because God can and will restore your marriage because he intends to use it for his kingdom and his glory to show the world his love for the church. God can and will do that in your marriage. I hope, I hope that you're encouraged by that. We um, started last week praying at the end of the services, and we're going to do that every Sunday. So today, if you want to receive prayer today, there's going to be prayer team people up here. And we're going to do it a little bit differently than last week. Um, we're going to invite you to come forward for prayer after the last song. The band's kind of jamming out. It's a little difficult to pray while that's going on. But after the song is over, come forward and receive prayer. We'd love to pray with you about anything that's going on in your life or your marriage. Um, we want to walk with you through those things. And especially, too, if your marriage is struggling, call the church office this week. 
Uh, we have a marriage mentoring ministry here where we have trained couples who have been trained to walk with you through the most difficult times in your marriages. Ron and Debbie Crowell, I think, do we have a picture of them? I think, goes, yeah, there's Ron and Debbie. Wonderful couple, love Jesus, great marriage. They, uh, there's, they have other couples that have been trained to walk with you through your marriage. Uh, we'd love to hook you up with one of those couples that would walk with you as well. Um, or maybe you need counseling, we would love to help you with that too. We want to see marriages here at Mission View Church last. We want to see them uh, be what God intends them to be for his glory and for your joy. God can give you that marriage because he intends it for you. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us in our marriages to glorify you. That our marriages aren't just for our spouse and and ourselves. Our marriages are meant to be a a beacon of hope to the world. That they are meant to glorify you and show the world what true grace and love and kindness and forgiveness and repentance looks like here in the flesh. God, help us to lay down our pride as men. Help us to walk in humility and serve our wives as your word tells us to, as Christ loved the church, that we would love our wives, that we would do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility we'd consider our wives better than ourselves, that we wouldn't look only to our own interests, but we'd look to our wives' interests. God, I pray that scripture over the men of Mission View right now in the name of Jesus. Come and do that in our hearts so that we can be who you've called us to be as husbands. And for our wives, God, come, Holy Spirit. Move on their hearts, Lord. Break their hearts for their marriages. A meek and mild spirit, God. A a spirit that comes alongside their husbands and loves them well. Father, do what only you can do. Restore marriages. Strengthen marriages, God. We lay our marriages before you, Father, and we say, come and have your way in the name of Jesus. For your kingdom, for your glory, and for our good, have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen.